Hi, everybody, and welcome again to Take a Knee. I'm Pastor David. Well, when we think about ourselves, we can think about ourselves way too much. In fact, they got this word out there called narcissism. It's funny, I hear that word a lot more now than I ever did years ago. In fact, I never really read much about it until really recent times. And maybe that's because we are suffering with it more. And I think that happens as a result of just people being in places, perhaps where they feel alone and cut off. Maybe it is a product of what's going on in our culture today. Well, I want to talk to you today about this movement or this maybe a counter culture movement that really is staring down narcissism and beginning to get us to wake up to the reality of what's taking place where we are so focused on us that we don't see others. In fact, as believers, if we're struggling with narcissism, then there's actually another word for that in the Bible. It is called selfishness. And yet, when the Holy Spirit comes and we're filled with him and we are open to the Holy Spirit's moving inside us, he's actually going to take us in the other direction. Matter of fact, he's going to lead us in a selfless, Christ-like path. And the fruit of the Spirit there is called self-control. Self-control. So that seems like an odd term, doesn't it? Self-control. And I want to talk today a little bit about control, but mostly about this idea of self-awareness, because I don't think we can get to understanding what real self-control is until we understand what makes us tick. Of course, the Bible does say that no one can know what's really going on inside of all of us. No one can do that. And if you're on this path of self-realization, trying to discover who you are, you might end up being a little disappointed. (laughs) And I know that's a funny thing to say. But what I mean is we all have shortcomings. So I had a sabbatical this year, and I've taken time to soul search. And that might be a better word, a soul search, which of course cannot be done without the Holy Spirit's presence as a Christian. In other words, I don't want to go internalize. I don't want to go into myself without the Holy Spirit leading me by the hand. Having decided long ago to allow the Spirit of God to speak to me as often as he seems or deems necessary, I gain great insight into what makes me tick. We all can do that. And the Holy Spirit is very ready to help us go there, to know who we are, who God created us to be. But I will say this, the path to self-awareness can be a scary one. Why? Because we are not always going to like what we see. But isn't that the point? That looking into the mirror is inevitable, as James said. If we look into the mirror and we see ourselves and walk away and forget what we look like, that's not a good thing. But if we look into the perfect law of liberty, which is what the mirror represents, perfection, truth, life, and we look in that and we see ourselves in contrast, then we're always going to see where we have grown, but where also we have not grown. Avoiding that daily visit to the mirror (laughs) 
is going to be a gradual path to self-deception, as James points out in that first chapter. So we don't want to deceive ourselves. But I've said from the pulpit many times that we blame the devil for so many things. And I'm sure it's quite a bit of what's going to happen. And so what we have here is this exposure. And but that's interesting. Then comes then we can jump to John, where he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will experience forgiveness. Our sins will be washed away. We give the Holy Spirit time. See, the challenge is this: most of us, if not all, have no real clue as to why we do what we do, other than the influence of our sinful nature. If you're a Christian, you know that exists. Or our spirit-led new nature. See. The Holy Spirit is at work, but there are a lot of times I don't see it. I'm sure you don't either. And sometimes it takes years, or maybe it takes other people to walk up to us and say, you know what, I've noticed you're more faithful, you're more kind, that you tend to be more gentle. What's up with you? What, what's going on? Well, then we can be rejoicing and say, oh, great, hallelujah, I am changing. See, everything else is a mysterious cacophony of thoughts, choices, and instinctive reactions that we often look back and say, you know, what was I thinking? And that's really true. When you think of the selfish, sinful nature, there are a lot of times where just like Paul, that he says at the end of Romans 7, going into Romans 8, that which I want to do, I can't do. And the thing I ought not to do, that's what I end up doing. <laughs> and Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, he gives us the answer. And you know the answer too. It's Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, dying on the cross so that the Holy Spirit would come and would begin to do the work in us. History shows us that human beings are self-destructive. Look at wars. Look at, look, I mean, you study history, then you look at a lot of real cruelty. But there have been moments along the way where man has sought enlightenment or perfection through various means. And we have these movements. Transcendentalism. A popular movement in the mid-1800s was an attempt to improve the human condition through a sort of perfectionism attained through better thinking, not necessarily better choices. So the thought was, you know, if I can just get my thought processes right. And you know what? There, there's some truth in that, isn't there? We know that. Transformation, Romans chapter 12, Colossians chapter 3 to set my heart on things above where Christ is seated, set my mind on Christ and the good and truth. So there is in that. But of course, if Jesus is not involved, then you're not going to see a lot of success. Or the success is temporary. In other words, we can think ourselves out of this mess if we learn more about who we are. Well, that's transcendentalism. If we learn more about who we are, being self-aware is kind of maybe where that comes from. For them, transcendentalists, the icing on the cake is this. Man is basically good, and we just need to discover the good in ourselves. Now, if you're thinking that something is wrong with this, or maybe that it smells familiar, you would be right, because that is what this world is infected with. When it comes to theology, if where you start is that man is basically good, we just need to discover the good, then that would not be a biblical path, my friend. That is error. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
Paul actually teaches us in the book of Romans that man is basically born evil. We're born broken. We're born hopeless. <laughs> there is no hope for man apart from Christ. So yeah, we're born into this world kicking and screaming and thinking that just good thinking and discovering new ways and thinking myself into goodness is going to do it. Well, it won't. It might bring us some temporary things. You know, the Bible tells us that even our good works without Christ is evil to him. And that's pretty disturbing when you think about it. So transcendentalism, as its many variations, cuts across the grain of biblical truth. Absolutely. Paul teaches us that the exact opposite in the book of Romans is where it is. You'll see Romans chapter 3, 23, it says we're born into sin. So is there any hope? If we have no goodness, then man is only fooling himself, isn't he? The truth is we are made righteous by the blood of Christ. And I love this word. You're going to love this word. Redeemed. Think about that word for a minute, that we are redeemed. That means taking something that is worthless, has no value, used up, ready to throw away. But yet when it's redeemed, it's given new purpose. It's repurposed. And it now has a value because of its new purpose. Well, that's what Christ does for us. Because we're born into this world full of sin, incapable of saving ourselves. Christ comes, dies on the cross for our sins, and not only does he wipe away our sins, but he repurposes us. Maybe to discover what was always our ultimate purpose. Well, that's a different thought altogether. But repurposing us to have a great purpose and therefore having value. And that, my friend, is your center. That's what you need to discover. That's what's going to set you free. When you come to that place of knowing you have value in Jesus, because when you know he loves you with an everlasting love, and when you know the Father loves you with an everlasting love, and he's going to father you, and that's a great discovery, isn't it? And I know many people over the years, I remember going way back, way back in my early days of walking with the Lord, one of my earliest pastors would talk about the father this, the father that. And I remember thinking, well, why aren't we talking about Jesus more? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then I read in scripture where Jesus says in the book of John, he says, look, after this time, you don't need to come to me because I'm not going to be here. But he says, but you can go to the father. You can go directly up to that throne of grace and receive help in your time of need. He says, you can go to the father in my name. And then something really remarkable happens. We are now seeing that we have a solution. By getting value, we now have a self-awareness that is based on a value that God has given us, that only God can give us, that only is repaired through the emotional connection. And that's the thing. I don't like to get into psychology, but, you know, just for a moment here, when our self-esteem is destroyed, and it does get destroyed, because when we disappoint ourselves through sin, we try to gloss over it, and we try to find other things in us that are good, but yet the bad in us is out of control. It's a dumpster fire. But when we go to Christ and we let him transform us, redeem us, get into our head, get into those dark places inside us, to go after those broken areas, those disappointments, when he can go and wash those away and love us anyway, it's not me loving myself, it's him loving me. 
And that's what really changes us. Exponentially more when it's the Father. I'm telling you, folks, this is an absolute powerful thing when you can get your arms around it. And I'm only scratching the surface. See, the reason why I mention this movement of transcendentalism is because it seems to rise from the dead again and again in just a different form. It's rediscovered by a new generation of people who are trying to figure out how to be happy without taking responsibility for the consequences of their bad choices. Really think about that for a moment. That this next generation, if they or you, if you're this next generation listening, that you're being taught that you're basically good and that by doing good things is going to make you a better human being. Well, there might be some truth in that, but you know the truth on the inside. You know where the darkness is. It's because you save a tree. It's because you save a lake. It's because you are able to keep our air clean or save an animal. It does not change you from the inside. It never will. See, the thought is, hey, we're not that bad. Let's just fix all of us by saying what is bad is now good. Well, that's where it leads, doesn't it? There, fixed it. Only it doesn't fix it. The sad thing is that it usually takes a generation of human beings to live and die to figure out that they were wrong, dead wrong. But alas, there is always a remnant who refuse to embrace reality and keep teaching the crap. This ancient pagan lie. We are much, much better than we used to be, they say. Except, once again, we seem to be confused, as we ever were. Folks, look around you. Has this idea that we're basically good and that we can save our earth, has that really changed our culture? It seems to me there's a lot more hate out there than there's ever been. And everyone seems to think that if you save the planet, or if you embrace communism or socialism, or if you find some other ism, that it's going to fix man, and that we're all going to walk around happy. We're going to destroy racism. We're going to destroy capitalism and poverty and all that. We're going to be able to destroy it when we all just get on the same sheet with the music. Well, you know what that really is? That's trying to create heaven here on earth. And my friend, that'll never, ever happen. Well, not until God makes a new heaven and a new earth, as he's promised. See, the truth of the matter is, this world, and everyone knows this because so many people have read the book of Revelation, either through faith or through just curiosity. They know how it all ends. In one big fiery nuclear blast, that's where it's going. Because it must, it, it must, because God wants to start over. There's always going to be that remnant of those who are believing a lie that man can save himself. And it's just not going to happen. Unfortunately, every generation has to learn that. Is it wrong for us to want to improve our lives? Not at all. It's just finding the solutions that truly make us whole. You know, I taught a group of over 100 pastors several years ago on this topic of self-awareness. And what I discovered was that it comes down to our willingness to see ourselves in sober judgment, as Paul says. He says, don't think more highly than you ought to think. So in, that, in essence, we're not supposed to be trying to gather up the good in us. We really need to be surrendering in humility. The more we recognize our weaknesses, recognize our shortcomings, our sinfulness, that'll be the place where we really begin to grow. 
because the good things that will come out of us are by his doing, by his transforming our heart. We don't just do it. And you know, and I will say this real quickly before we end, that sometimes those who are activists are only active in a certain passion, but really deep down, they're really miserable people. They're really broken people. Perhaps having addictions, maybe their own families are falling apart. Maybe they're taking antidepressants. Maybe there are other things they're doing. And wow, I've seen this over and over again. Yet, this generation wants to turn a blind eye to that. Oh, well, everybody's got their problems. Well, that may be true, but Christ's got a better solution. I can promise you that. See, we've been given an option. We've been given a gift. And this gift is Jesus. And he is also ready to put gifts inside us. See, trying to be something that we are not is just faulty. It's fatal. But when we come to Christ and we discover that we do have a divine purpose, and it'll come through our giftings, it'll come through the the talents that we have, and when they're used for the glory of God, that fruit, that reward, that impact lasts forever. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did say that at the end, only those things that were born out of faith and the work of God and by the Holy Spirit would be eternal. Everything else is just wood, hay, stubble, and straw, the money we create. I listened to this guy say, you know what? Money can buy a house, but it cannot buy a home. Money can buy so many things, but it can't buy the eternal work. It just can't. Money can't really buy you happiness. You can buy stuff, but it can't buy happiness. It goes on and on, doesn't it? Well, if you're listening to this right now and you've listened this far, then I want to encourage you to take some time. If you do not know Christ, to take some time to pray and ask Christ into your life. He says, believe upon me and you will be saved. To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and you will be saved. You can do that right now. If you're a believer and listening to this and we're closing this up, then I just want to encourage you. It's time to dump, flush a lot of this worldly wisdom, these isms that we are trying to use to improve ourselves. What we really need to do is just stop all the excuses and go to the throne of grace and receive what we need in our time of need. And that begins with humility. And sometimes it means you are wrong and admitting that you are wrong. And it's from that place, my friend, that we grow and the grace of God is poured in, as Peter and Paul both said, that by grace, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He's resisting those who are proud, but he will give grace. And what is grace? It's the power to change. It's God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. I think it's time for letting him do it, don't you think? Amen. Well, God bless you, and you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.